Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights here with Rich Klein. We're going to talk about 1981 Donruss, a suggestion from John Flemister, who's also been a guest before. 1981 Donruss, a very enigmatic set. But first, thanks sponsors, Topps Panini and Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Rich, you and I both were around in 81. I was opening 81 Donruss packs. Tim Raines, you know, he was the hottest rookie in 81. He and Valenzuela. And but Valenzuela didn't have 81 Donruss. He doesn't have 81 Donruss. He has Topps. He has Fleer and Topps. Why and do you think Donruss didn't have him? Interesting, but Fleer doesn't have Reigns. Maybe because yeah, that's this, a mess up. Because Valenzuela did come up at the end of 80. So did Reigns. And they just, were both hot prospects. This is part of the reason the 81 Donruss set has so many, we'll call it minuscule errors. They corrected. They were rushing to get the set out. It's not like the judge's decision that allowed them to make cards with gum came out mm. like in May of 80. It comes out like October or November of 1980. When the tops is already halfway down the train. And I know the world is different, but you've heard the guys from Panini. One of the people from Upper Deck was on a webcast I heard the other day, the president, Jason Mastriani. And they they talked that now it's 11 to 12 months, if not more, of lead time to do a product. So let's assume the world's a little simpler in 1980. Let's say eight months to produce a product. You're trying to produce what takes you eight months in four months. Fleer and Donruss, in order to make a splash, in short order there, they were superstar loaded, even to the point of doubling up, and not very prospect oriented, which now we look back and we think, gosh, how could they miss the boat there? If they had more prospects, that would be a set that, of course, you realize that the card companies only made money on the primary sales. They don't make money on the secondary sales. So they weren't aggressively putting in younger players. And yet a couple of years later, Donruss would actually create the rated rookie concept. Even the year before they put it on the front of the card, they had a few players right. on the back of the 83 Donruss card. Yeah. <clears throat> so they eventually got more prospect oriented. But I think part of the thing they doubled up, there, there are some like Pete Rose has three 81 Donruss cards. And he's got right. two or three 81 Fleer cards. He's got two, I think, two separate right. and then one as a three-player card. You're right. There's this thing about doubling up. Probably their focus groups told them, focus on the stars. The whole idea of rookie cards was just starting to percolate in those days. The card price update had begun pushing it, but it took a while for the rest of the world. There's something to be said for improving each year. But the one way to improve from each year is to start out badly. So I'm thinking... 81 Donruss got him on the board, but it was not their best effort. 82, it was 82 when they brought in Diamond Kings, I think. 82 they bring, yes. So then 83, then is 83 when they have the rated rookies? But there are, only, there are two or three and they're, but they're on the only, back. On, on the, the back, card. but I mean, but they're pushing it. And then 84. They put it on the front they, of the card. And they were, they were the premier set by 84. They had gone from worst to first. And not only if that. If they were in fact worst. But they, I'll tell you something else. With 84, they had by far the best design and the best photographs. Yeah. Classic design. Yeah, That's like a win-win. They learned they were also the most, of the three major companies in those days, they were by far the most hobby-centric. They actually set up, I think the 82 or the 83 National, they set up at. They were actually setting up at the Nationals long before it became a tradition with corporate sponsorship. John Flemister said that he thought Keith Olbermann did a lot of the photography. He did the photography. Because all the photography was in Chicago, even though Keith was I don't think Keith upstate did the, New York. I don't think Keith did I thought the, Jack Wallen did the photography. Jack Wallen, I don't think it's Keith Olbermann. He may have ridden some of the backs. Keith Olbermann wrote the backs of the 76 SSPC. Well, he was a tops guy. 
yeah. so much. You would think, but he knew Mike Ehrenstein pretty well. They were buddies. So like maybe he was sub subcontracted through Mike. To at least write I, thought, I thought Mike Ehrenstein, TCMA, the, the MA of TCMA, Mike Ehrenstein and Hobby Pioneer Icon, I thought he was only involved in the distribution. That's, but was he, he might, involved in the production he too? He may have maybe? done a little more than that. but Because he, he had put out card sets. But Donruss had put out card sets. Non-sport. Yeah. They have and yet my, the, the TCMA cards are better produced than the Donruss cards in 81. The Donruss cards are flimsy. They crease easy. They're just not good cards. The TCMA. Donruss and Fleer thought in 1981... The tops is the sleepy giant in the industry, and they just do what they do. They have no competition, and all we've got to do is put something else out there, and it'll sell because collectors don't care. They'll take anything. Do you think they thought the bar was that low? If you remember, the 79 to 81 period is really the first, we'll call it popular hobby. Look what the year you had in 1970. No, there was a, a big splash of innovation in the late 70s or early But it's 80s. also starting to get to popular culture. The mantles sold publicly for $3,000, yeah. which nowadays sounds like a pittance, but in those days it was a lot of money for a, for a 52 baseball card. Mm. And the common high numbers were 50 to $60 from 52 tops. You're talking. Yeah. And But think about the 79 to 81 period for what it was, and then now you have a new card company coming out. They've done cards before, but now they can do baseball cards. But if you compared the 81 Donruss baseball to the Donruss non-sports sets in the mid-70s, they're not appreciably better or worse. It just seems like they just put it out there. Fleer, not a whole lot better. They probably had a little bit better card stock, but not great photography. A lot of errors. The errors now for Donruss, that was a big hubbub in the day, but... Not so much now. There's no noteworthy error there where the, where you just are... I honestly think the 81 Donruss errors were just based on the speed of trying to get the card out. Yeah. I mean, John Tudor, where the yeah. one lost record is 9.7 instead of 9-7 and things yeah. like that. And Joe Charbonneau with a line of text missing on the back. Or Rennie Stennett with having broken ankle instead of broken ankle. Just things, Copy editing stuff. Copy editing stuff. Where Fleer was more superstar-oriented numbering stuff that probably should have been fixed before it went out, where Donruss, I think, was just... Grammatical, rather than leaving the number off the card, which you'd think you'd check that. <laughs> but that happens to this very day. Remember, with the work I do for ComC, yeah. it's shocking to see how these card companies still make numbering errors to this very day. I mean, and when we enter a card with a ComC checklist, we put the card number in, and sometimes it just looks weird in the database in the road to opening day tops now set. Well, all of those cards have an OD dash before the name, except like card 337, which is definitely part of the road to opening day set, is just card number 337. Oh. And it's a missed the OD. So in the database, because we're trying to report the accurate card Exactly, number, because how do you search for it? You've got to search for it with the card number. <laughs> it's still happening to this very day. Some of it you can just say, hey, it's, it is what it is. But I think if you're a conspiracy theorist, you'd have a much better chance saying Fleer did that on purpose rather than Don was doing well, it on purpose. We, you were around in those days. Errors and variations were, there was a lot going on in the 80s there. Some accusation of intentionality on the part of players, photographers in cahoots, card companies. I think the licensing entities were probably not pleased, but there were a bunch of errors and it's much more noteworthy than 81 Donruss, which it just blew over. And now whether you've got the 
error or the corrected version, it's probably still a common and card. And some of the case. 81 variations are just they updated the card. If it was a person of free agency, okay, he signed with her, he was traded to. So some of those are natural yeah. living set updates. Others, as, as we talked about, the Rennie Stennett and the Broken Leg or the Joe Charbonneau card, which probably at the time was a hot card. That could have been maybe the only deliberate mistake Donruss made. And even that, I don't think, was a deliberate mistake. Okay. John Flemister, when he was suggesting that you and I talk about 81 Donners, his perception is that complete sets on eBay are getting harder to find. And I thought, I don't think it's hard to find a set. You get what you pay for. If it's a cheaper set, it's probably in, in lesser condition. A lot of off-centering, a lot of quality control issues and flimsy cardstock and all that stuff. So you can find the set... But if you find the set at a low price, it may not be a bargain because bad quality control. If it's a high price set, that doesn't mean it's necessarily in better shape. But are there any cards a person should worry about other than second year Ricky Henderson and rookie Tim Raines? If you put those on top of the box, is that end of story? That's end of story for terms of the key cards. However, I swear that 98% of the Keith Hernandez cards have a factory crease in them. Okay, so if it didn't, that's a great. It's gradable. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there are others like that as well. I remember the Keith Hernandez because after I was told that, I've handled enough and I said, yeah, they all do have creases on them. You just sell them as they are. It's a factory crease. It's like a paper crease or yeah. like a bent? It's like a it's like, like a, a factory crease. It's noticeable, but not really bad. Yeah. But you're right. The only card that really anybody would care about today from 81 Donruss that would be any sort of a real premium is the Tim Raines rookie, and some people do like the Mookie Wilson rookie, which is his only in New York card by himself. Okay. I don't know if it was an offer, but they did have some complete uncut sheets. Mike Gordon had a bunch of them okay. way back in the day. So if you had one of those, what would you do? you just keep it because it wouldn't make sense to chop it unless you had a professionally cut, perfectly centered, but that can be expensive if you're just doing one sheet at a time. You're right. I would probably just keep it, especially if it was inexpensive. Get put a... Get a big protector for it and just... There are a lot of people when they get these complete sets think, wow, if I just cut this up and they all come out great in grading, you know, you, you better do the math and include the cost of cutting professionally because if you don't, that can be very expensive. The actual cutting costs nothing. It's the setup and the registration because you don't cut it perfectly. You've just ruined every card if you don't get it uh, perfectly you, centered on the guillotine or whatever it is. You are a magazine publisher. The biggest cost of magazine publishing is, let's not say the thousand copy, it's the first copy. It's the first copy. Once you get the first copy done, then the next nine ninety gravy. Yeah. yeah. Gravy. Okay, so what do you think the alternatives, 81 Donruss, the, the Donruss executives, I think they were in the Chicago, they were Don and Russ, they were brothers, the Wiener brothers, right? Yeah. Okay, so the court case comes down. They're thinking, we're going to jump in. We can even put in gum, which was short-lived. It was the only year, by the way, the 81 Donruss gum tastes better than either Fleer or Tops in 81, but that's a personal opinion. Okay, but why did the road go through Mike? A respected guy, had done card sets on, on some because kind of volume. Because he knew how to distribute the cards to the hobby. Because remember, Don was had gotten much more hobby-centric than Mike had a good name. And they figured if they did it through him, that it's like outsourcing. In business, yeah. the more you can outsource, you're better off assuming it goes well. Mike did just fine. Was he one of the first hobby super distributors? I think Because so. there weren't that many distributors. There were just big dealers. But the mail order guys, which he was, had to have a network of others that he could offload 500 sets to. He knew where all the stores were because the stores were carrying his TCMA stuff. 
So he was a distributor too. So why not get it into the hands of somebody who's going to distribute for you? TCMA, we could do a whole episode on that. Is that most people to, think way. that it was a minor league, but the minor league was not their initial thrust, I think. It was all these old timers and things well, like that. Because that was when Tom Ernst Collier was involved. Is a, is a, is a Sabre guy. It was, is that's, a, that's when Tom Collier, Tom Collier was involved. Right? And, and TC, TC. TCMA. That later became the Card Memorabilia Association. Association. But it was originally Tom Collier and Mike Aronstein. They love baseball, and they do these baseball sets. And I think the the minor league thing, just somebody must have said, hey, why can't we do this for some of these uh, minor league sets? Well, if the minor league teams are paying you, it's even better. I, I think they probably were. But it wasn't a great deal because those things were still available very cheaply through the late Even now, some of the sets, if they don't have a big player, they go for I, cost. I, I, I will tell you something. When I'm doing my Com C work, I enjoy almost nothing more than when I'm identifying cards. So when I see TCMI cards, okay, I say, is there some hidden variation that I'm trying to figure out on these cards? Because I just love TCMA. There's never been a great catalog of TCMA stuff. Bob Lemke did a great job. We did a great job. And Mike Aronstein himself never had a good catalog. He didn't keep great paperwork. But when it came to $81, I said is what it is. But he was the right choice. But I think it was too big for him, too trying to really make it a national thing. Especially with the collation. I mean, the collation was not a no-brainer. How you cut the cards and then get them into packs. I will tell you, even in 82, they got better, but it was still far from perfect. One year, there used to be a birthday group on Freedom Cardboard, and I was a member of the birthday group. And eight or nine years ago, my birthday present from that group was an 82 Donruss unopened box. There you go. We opened it. Dean and my wife is saying, where are the hits? <laughs> and by the way, she, she pulled a Ripken rookie. And I said, honey, you that just pulled it. the Ripken that rookie. That was it. That is your hit. And I got five Ripken rookies out of that box. None were centered better than 70-30. But it was definitely better than 81 Donruss. 80, by the time we get to 83 Donruss, it's much better. 82 Donruss is also the first year of the factory sets. But they're not in order they, they don't have these fancy wrappings every 55 card with the... To protect them. With a puzzle piece to as a front or back right. to the... Like, so, as you're right, Donruss got better each year. Yeah. yeah, starting at the bottom sucks, but guess what? If you're the best card company in four years, that's pretty good. Thanks, Rich Klein. Thanks, everybody. Be back again tomorrow.